Hello, this is Clarence. Uh, I am still here on the boat. It looks like a, a, the corona or something. I don't know what it is. I have no idea. But apparently it's been here all year. Something called COVID-19. Uh, corona. It's an illness, apparently. And apparently it's been all over planet Earth all year. And everyone's been, like, in their houses and told to stay home and the bars have been shut and the music venues have been shut and the galleries and the, uh, the pastries and the pastas and the boulangeries uh, Clarence has not noticed a fucking thing oh, it's very strange stuff going on this is conspiracy you're all in it together you're all shut down the world to make Clarence feel like an idiot you're all out to make Clarence feel stupid, I know. This is not a funny joke. <laughs> corona. What is this Corona shit? Anyway, Clarence is on the boat and uh, we're playing Corona. And so he's got to be on the boat for a little while. And he listened to this hello, hello. And some of his friends came down today. Uh, these people keep turning up on this boat, of Mark's, Mark's boat. And they keep singing songs and stuff. So I'm recording some of them and playing them back to you. Because I think some of them are rather good. Yeah, especially this one. This is a very good song. Well, there ain't no food in her larder She does all be needed by night I used to blame it on her father Now I just blame it on the right Blame it on the right Blame it on the pure That was a lovely song. It is very sad. I, I somebody told me it was a comedy song, and it's just about how everybody in Europe, for many years, they just say, oh, it is too much. It's too much. To, uh, the uh, generation of my grandpapa was uh, not a nice time to be a European. Says Clarence. It is. Uh, we have been very fortunate, Clarence's generation. Uh, we, are, we have basically been uh, living in the hangover from the war. And uh, during this hangover, it is the, the life has been very much like it is after a lazy buddy. Everyone wakes up. Uh, everyone did some stuff last night. They go, oh my God, what did we do? Oh, Jesus. Look at the devastation in the kitchen. Look at the devastation in the garden. Oh my God, Jesus, we even invited the Japanese neighbors around. Oh my God, I can swear, I swear, I swear there's some, some South Africans here. But the party, so the whole world got together, had a big bust up at the party. Oh, 
and you know that you do a lot of stuff in that party that you would never do in normal times. You'll never do it. You did it because you were in the mood. And anyway, and then the kids come down. Oh no, jeez, we forgot we had kids. They're gonna see this devastation. There's no, uh, there's no way Clarence can hide the devastation on children. He would not want to. What do we tell the kids? Got to come up with something very quickly to tell the kids. So we make up a story. Yeah, the bad guys, the good guys, the play. We did this, did this. Yeah, heroes. Yeah, cowboys, Indians. Uh, that's the story. Quick. Okay, everyone, tell them that story. Okay, so we tell everybody the story of the war, and then we'll settle down again, you know, and uh, like the party. Very much like the party. And then, uh, oh, it is, uh, yes, Europe is basically, Europe is heading for some dark times, I feel, but uh, we have been living in the, the party, the after party of the party of the war. Yeah, nobody really knows what will happen in that war yet. If you think about it in terms of uh, the world in many, many years, we are merely awakening from the hangover from the war. We came up with a pretty good story to tell our children, so it, uh, it's, it's really important that we wake up and we, uh, we put our shoots on and we have breakfast and maybe sometimes, and only then we let the Swedish cook the salmon. I'm sorry, my friend. I'm sorry, I cannot answer that question. I, I am merely a, a floating a disc jockey called Clarence. I am not a jockey on a horse called Prancer. No, 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 no. I do like the horses. Yes, you have a horse? A, a what? A donkey? Oh, I like the donkeys even better than the horses, but the donkeys aren't for racing, sir. No, you see. No, no, sir, they're not for... Well, no, no, we we do not require. We we have a donkey for Christmas, sir. Yes, and a camel. You're making me real mad, sir. I got to hang up now, sir. Goodbye. Good Ebenezer, good. Uh, these little pill things. He picked up Clarence. And Clarence took one and he made his hair fall out. That's why he's bald. Ha! <laughs> Pick a speckled hair on me, a pink jacket, a bald on top of the wings, and oh my god, you imagine the sight I was. I was a disgrace. So I uh, I ended there, I don't look into the extra no, no, no. Uh, here's a song from uh, by the trailer park trash who really like whores and liquor, and I think also cigarettes. Here's from Trailer Park Boys, but let me lead you in. Oh, is it yeah? Thank you. 
I like liquor and whores. Cigarette dope, mustard and bologna, liquor and whores. I like the liquor and the whores. I like the liquor and the whores. Cigarette dope, mustard and bologna, liquor and whores. I like the liquor and the whores. I like the techno disco party. That was excellent. I love that song. It comes from a, a Canadian uh, TV show called Trailer Park Boys about the boys who live in the trailer park uh, who are up to up the tricks and they crafty tricks to to make some money mainly to get pepperoni and show cigarettes for their dope. And now it is a serious part of the evening. I'm going to read you a story. The story takes place in the Russia in 1942 in September and I will read you it it's a lovely story I feel I would like to read it and uh, to set the scene uh, General Tchutkov uh, 15 years after the war with Germany is meeting up with one of his old engineer pals and uh, he's finding out what happened to some men but he sent on a very special mission one night which he never found out what happened to them but he sensed that they never died but he never saw them again so He's very keen to find out, and he's met up with this guy, and this is the story, he says, I'll tell you it as I tell you it. Uh, I will put on my best storytelling voices. Yes, yes, here we go. Yes, I remember. I'll tell you everything in the order it happened, he proposed, when we were sitting down at the table. And then this was his story, says the man. When I shut off with the company towards the station, and I was exchanging fire with the Germans, the battalion commander Cherkiev came out and found me. Wiping his glasses, he told me, we need to cut them off, the Germans, that is, and hold them. Hang on there as long as you can. Get in stock of grenades. I collected the company and in darkness moved off to the surrounding station. By now it was night, and the sounds of the battle were all around us. Small groups of our men consolidated positions in half-destroyed houses, and with great difficulty beat back half the enemy onslaught. I could tell that the station buildings were in the enemy's hands. We cut across the railway line to the left of it, and at the crossing road stood a stationary tank with a dozen men by it. We marched near the station building and moved in ready for hand-to-hand -hand fighting. We suddenly attacked the throw of the grenade a soldier after it. The Germans ran away, firing chaotically into the dark. In this way, the company occupied the station. By the time the Germans recovered and realized that there was only one company of us, we had already established a strong defense position. And although they came back to attack us from there several times before dawn, they could not regain the station. Day dawned imperceptibly, and another hard Stalingrad morning began. From daybreak, the German dive bombers began dropping hundreds of bombs on the station. After the bombing and artillery bombardment, Station buildings were on fire, the walls burst apart, the iron buckled, but the men were fighting on. At nightfall, the Germans failed to occupy the station building, and finally realizing that no attack would overcome us, moved to encircle us. We then switched the battle to the square outside the station. 
A fierce skirmish took place near the fountain along the railway line. I remember the Germans coming round the rear and mashing a corner building on the station square. For identification's sake, we called the building the Nail Factory. Uh, no reason. Because the men we set out on reconnaissance reported that there was a storehouse full of nails there. From here, the enemy was preparing to attack us from behind. But we guessed what he was going to do and launched a counterattack to his position. We were supported by mortar fire and from a company of Lieutenant Javadon, which had now approached the station. We did not manage to take the whole of the nail factory. We drove the Germans out of one workshop, but they remained in a neighboring one. Fighting now broke out inside the building. Our company's strength was fast to the end. Not only our company, but the whole battalion was in an extremely difficult position. The battalion commander, Lieutenant Cheryakov, was wounded and evacuated across the Volga. Lieutenant Fredereski took over command of the battalion. The Germans were pressing the battalion back on three sides. The position was ammunition was serious, and there was no question of food or sleep. The worst part was the first. In our search for water in the first instance, for the machine guns, we fired at drain pipes to see if any water dripped out. The fighting in the nail factory would die down and then flare up anew. In short skirmishes, we used knives, spades, butts, and butts of our rifles. Towards dawn, the Germans brought up fresh reserves and threw company after company against us. To hold off such an onslaught became extremely difficult, and I sent urgent report on the situation to Lieutenant Fedoreski. The 3rd Infantry Company, under 2nd Lieutenant Kolegunov, was then sent to our assistance on the way. His company was under a torrent of fire and was attacked a number of times. Tolin uh, Kolinigov, in a great coat uh, covered with brick dust, nevertheless got through with his company and reported simply, My company with 20 men has arrived. In his report to Battalion HQ, Kolinigov noted that he had arrived at the nail factory. But the position was difficult, but as long as she lived, the scum would not get through. Fierce fighting went on into the night. Small groups of German Tommy gunners and snipers began to penetrate our rear. They hid in guards and ruins and sewer pipes and proceeded to fire upon us. Battalion commander Pierre Potsessi ordered me to prepare a group of Tommy gunners to be sent through to the enemy's rear. I carried out this order, and this is what I wrote about in my diary. Antin Kuzmuch hands me a sheet of paper to read. And uh, on the street's risen, this is his diary. 18th September 1942. A group of volunteer Tommy gunners not so long ago slipped away silently into the night. They went knowing clearly how difficult and complicated their task was to reach the enemy's rear and operate on their own. Whew. Each of them received a five day ration of ammunition and a full and detailed instructions on how to act behind enemy lines. The German defenses were soon alarmed. Germans could always learn of the standard had blown up the lorry which had just bought ammunition for them, or had put the machine gun team and an artillery detachment out of action. From morning till noon, clusters of German planes hung in the sky over the city. Some of them would break away and their formations dive and riddle the streets and ruins of houses with bullets and sirens in an attempt to show panic. They dropped high explosive incendiaries. The city was on fire. At night, the Germans blew up the wall, separating our workshop from the rest of the building, and began throwing grenades at us. This is no rest. The guardsmen could only just manage to throw grenades back through the window frames. Lieutenant Kolingov was severely wounded by a bursting grenade. Our men fell one by one. With great difficulty, two of our men carried Kolingov out of range of the firing towards the Volga. I do not know what happened to him. 
Then what happened, I said, uh, after Rizinesh? Well, for another 24 hours or more, we continued to fight in the nail factory, continued Anton. The men of Lieutenant Zabdom's mortar company then came to our aid. They had long ago run out of bombers and mortars and were acting as infantrymen, but they got down behind the barricades in the street and consolidated their position while putting up a strong barrage of fire. Towards the evening, this was the uh, 20th September, uh, our observers reported that the enemy was actively regrouping his forces and was building up artillery and tanks towards the station. The battalion was ordered to prepare to beat off a tank attack. Had attached a number of groups from the company, uh, armed with anti-tank rifles and grenades and a bottle of vodka uh, and an incendiary mixture, of course. Uh, the enemy tanks did not materialize that day. At night, risking her life, a woman who lived nearby came across from enemy held territory to tell us that the Germans were preparing a tank attack. She gave us a lot of valuable information about the disposition of the German units. I remember her name, Maria Vladeskia. I ought to add that local inhabitants often help us with information and water. Unfortunately, the names of these courageous patriots remains unknown. So September 21st dawned, and this was to be the darkest day for the 1st Battalion, a very dark day. From daybreak, the Germans, with the aid of tanks and artillery, launched a frenetic attack. The strength of the enemy's fire and ferocity of his soldiers was beyond all our expectations. The Germans threw all their resources, all their reserves on us to sector into the battle. The enemies would break our resistance in the area of the station, but they advanced only at the cost of heavy or heavy losses. Only in the latter part did they manage to cut our battalion in two. Uh, part of the battalion, including the battalion HQ, were cut off in the vicinity of the universal stores. The Germans surrounded this group and attacked them on sides. Hand-to-hand fighting broke out inside the stores. The battalion HQ staff, led by Lieutenant Fedor Yesef, waged an unequal battle. The small group of courageous men sold their lives daily. We sent in four groups to their aid, but the Germans managed to bring top tanks and lambasted and everything that moved. That was how commander of the 1st Battalion, Fedor Yesev, and his courageous assailants finally died. I don't think we need to worry about it. I have a good friend of mine, he's not alive anymore, but I met him at one of my fellowship meetings once upon a time. And he told me all about germs and how to deal with germs and what to do mainly with people who don't know what to do with germs. Because your problem is, when you get germs, you get Germans. That's why I put that in there tonight. You don't know this. <laughs> but they're really, really, you have to look out for the Germy people. Not the Germans, the Germy people. Yeah, I'll let my friend old George explain. Fucking weak and you got a fucking weak immune system. Now, I'll tell you what you're gonna do, you're gonna get sick, you're gonna die, and you're gonna deserve it, cause you're fucking weak and you got a fucking weak immune system. I wanna tell you a true story about 